Good morning, Golden Corner Church. I'm glad to see you. To those of you who are visiting with us, you have no idea how happy you've made us that you are part of our worship service today. And I need to say something to those of you who come every Sunday, I mean Sunday after Sunday, you're always here, so faithful. I cannot begin to tell you how much I appreciate you and how grateful that I am for you that you're here each and every Sunday that you could possibly be here. Thank you. Thank you. Now, here's a fact. You ready? The Christian life is supposed to be characterized by the wow factor. It's supposed to be. As God works within us, as He works for us, as He works through us, we ought to be wowed by God on some consistent basis. Therefore, following Christ should be exciting, adventurous, I think attractive to those around us. Does that sound like your brand of Christianity? If not, how would you describe your Christian experience? Would you say, well, I guess you could say I'm like everybody else that goes to our church. I get up in the morning and I go off to work. I come by the school in the afternoon and pick up the kids. I fix supper. I go to rec games. I help with homework. I put the kids down and then I go to bed myself. I get up the next day and I just kind of do it all over again. Then of course the weekends come and I try to catch up on the housework that I've let go and hopefully catch up on some rest that I didn't get. And We try to plan a little something fun for the kids. And if the weekend's not too hectic and not too full, we we do our best to make it to church. So I guess you could say that I'm kind of like everybody else. So are you saying you wouldn't describe your spiritual life with words like exciting, adventurous, and attractive? Or are you telling me that you would have to use words like normal and average and routine? If that's the case, it sounds to me like the wow factor might be missing from your Christian experience. If so, would you like to recover it? Because you can. How? Pray. For those of you who might be visiting with us for the first time, we're in a sermon series entitled The Wow Factor, and and I'm going to sum up five sermons in one statement to catch you up. You ready? This is what we've learned thus far. People who pray are wowed by God. Recovering the wow factor starts with prayer, but it doesn't end there. There's another step we have to take. And we're going to discover that step in our Bible studies over the next four Sundays. So here's the question I've got for you. Are you ready to kind of dig in and study the Bible together for a few minutes this morning? You ready? Good, good, good. In just a moment, we're going to read a couple of verses from the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, chapter 17. And before we do, though, let me set the stage and tell you what is happening. Our story is set in the coastal community called Zarephath. The citizens of Zarephath were pagans, which means they worshipped a host of false gods. Not real gods, 
We know there's only one real God, but they had, they had a whole group of false gods they worshipped. And one of those gods they called Baal. And they really believed that Baal was the God who controlled the weather. And therefore, in the end, Baal always had a whole lot to say with the abundance of their harvest. Now, at the time our story is set, Zarephath is at the beginnings of a very serious drought. As a matter of fact, there hasn't been any precipitation at all in six months. And because of the drought, the crops have failed. And because the crops have failed, there are very few groceries at the market to be, to be bought. And because there are only a handful of groceries, the price was sky high. So the only way you're going to get any groceries to go back in the pantry is you had to have a lot of money. Living in Zarephath was a single mom. And she had a son she was doing her best to provide for. She was a widow. And in this culture, widows were typically very poor. And in circumstances like this widow found herself in, it was a general rule that widows and their families would die of starvation first. I can't imagine what it would be like to be a parent Go to the pantry every day and watch your resources slowly but steadily diminishing, knowing you have no way to, 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 to go back and, and put anything else in the pantry and knowing where this is eventually leading and know it's how it's going to impact your child. And so week after week, day after day, she's watching those resources dwindle. And at some point in this six-month period, God spoke to the widow. Now, I'm not talking about Baal, and I'm not talking about any of his false cohorts, I'm talking about the real God, the only God, the true God, spoke to the widow. And you're not going to believe what he said to her. He said, I'm sending a man to Zarephath. And he's my man. And I'm entrusting you with the responsibility. Think about this, how silly this sounds. I'm entrusting you with the responsibility of providing that man with food and lodging. Really? And one day she wakes up. It's a day I think she had anticipated and dreaded. And she goes to the pantry. And she's got two jars in the pantry. Two, and, and in one jar she's got a little bit of flour. In one jar she's got a little bit of oil. It's just enough to make one last meal for she and her son. And she knows that after we eat this, we're just going to sit here and we're going to slowly die of starvation. She acts responsibly. She, she goes out to the city gate. She begins to collect firewood. Can you imagine the great heaviness of heart that this woman had at that time? Can you imagine the, the great sadness that she felt? Can you imagine the fear that she felt, the sense of dread at what was coming for her and her son? But she goes out and she is faithfully gathering up the firewood to build the fire to cook the last meal that she and her son will ever eat. I want you to kind of... I want you to kind of mentally travel about 90 miles away to a gorge. Steep, rocky, dusty, dry gorge. It was called the Kareth Ravine. And if you'll just use your imagination to peer down into the gorge... There's a man down there breaking camp and packing up because he's getting ready to move. The man was Elijah, the prophet Elijah. You guys, what was he doing in this gorge? He'd been camping there for six months. 
six months. You say, Ronnie, what was the preacher doing camping in the gorge for six months? He was hiding from Ahab, king of Israel. Why was he hiding from the king? The king had put a contract on his head and had sworn to kill him. Why would the king want to kill the preacher? The king blamed the preacher for the drought and the famine and the troubles that his nation was experiencing. Well, why would he blame the preacher? Because Elijah had prayed that it would stop raining. Well, why would Elijah pray such a prayer? God told him to. God told him to pray that it would stop raining, and God answered his prayer and cut off the rain, including the dew. Well, why would God do such a thing? God was making a point. Baal doesn't control the weather. Because, can I say this the way we'd say it up in Salem? Baal doesn't control the weather because he ain't no God. God's making a point. I'm the only one that controls the weather because I am God, period. Well, then God tells Elijah to pray the prayer. He answers the prayer. It quits raining. And then God sent Elijah up to meet with Ahab face-to-face where he could explain to him what was going down so that he could, I guess, rebuke this king, which in itself had to be intimidating because the king was a murderer, had an old army at his beck and call who could do whatever he wanted, to whomever he wanted with no repercussions. And so Elijah did that, and after he rebukes the king, God spoke to Elijah and said, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to get out of here. (laughs) And you need to go where? To the Kareth Ravine and hide. And he said, it's on the eastern side, tell him where it's the eastern side of the Jordan River. There's a little brook there. And said, you can drink fresh water from the brook. And as far as the food goes, I got you covered there. And this is what God told him. Every morning and every afternoon, I'll have ravens bring in bread and meat for you. And you know what? Elijah believed that story. Would you have? Now, let's, let's just be honest. If God has said to you, strike out in the wilderness, don't take anything with you. But every morning, birds will fly in with bread and meat. And every afternoon, they're coming back. I mean, i got to tell you guys, I probably would have gone down to Elkmont Trading Company and bought me two sacks full of those dehydrated meals just as a backup plan. I mean, yeah, I hear that, God, but wow, I don't know. Elijah believed him. He goes down into the ravine like clockwork. Here come the birds bringing in bread and meat every morning, every evening. They did this for six months. I was studying this week, and this is what I discovered. In that culture, almost no one had meat every day. Almost no one did. It was, a, it was a treat. Once, twice a week, you got meat with your meal. Only kings ate meat twice a day. You know what that says? For six months, God fed Elijah like a king. I believe the man gained weight down in the Kareth Ravine. I really do. Like clockwork, here they came, they brought it, but there was a problem developing this whole time. It wasn't raining. And so in time, the brook dried up and Elijah had nothing to drink. And God spoke to Elijah and said, okay, that's your sign. It's time to move on. And here's where I want you to go. I want you to go to Zarephath. Because I've commanded a widow there to take care of you. Now, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I mean, if, he had, if God had said, I've commanded a family with means and resources to take care of you, that makes sense. 
what God had said to Elijah was, I want you to come out of hiding. I want you to walk through enemy territory for about a week. And then I've entrusted someone with absolutely no resources to provide for you. You're not going to believe this, but Elijah believed that. He just believed it. So he struck out, walked about a week through the desert, shows up at the city gate of Zarephath, kind of picture him there covered in dust, lips cracked. He, you know, he's, and then this man's thirsty. He's hungry. He walks in the city gate, and he looks, and there's this woman, the center of our story, gathering her firewood. I don't know how he knew. I could speculate. But Elijah knew immediately she's a widow. And he said, ma'am, if you wouldn't mind, would you give me a drink of water? She said, sure. She turns and Elijah says, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. W- 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 one more thing. I'm starving to death. Will you bring me something to eat? I- I've always pictured her just stopping and turning and looking at him. You know what she said? I can't. I, I can't. Then she explained why. I have no food. As a matter of fact, all I've got at the house is a little flour and a little oil in a jar. And I'm getting this firewood guy to go home and make a fire. and going to make my son and I a piece of bread. We're going to eat it. Then we're going to starve to death. Now, what would you think the preacher would say in a situation like that? Compassionate, understanding preacher. What would you expect the preacher to say? I would expect him to say, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I I didn't know. Perhaps there's something I could do for you. That's what I would think, wouldn't you? Come on now, talk to me. Isn't that what you would think? You know what the preacher said to her? Do not be afraid to do what God has already told you you should do. Don't you be afraid to do what God has already told you to do. You know what he recognized? She was that close to disobeying God because she was afraid to try to do what God was telling her to do. Say, what was she afraid of? I think she was afraid of this. If I do what God has told me to do, it's going to make my my bad situation a whole lot worse. And I said, don't you be afraid to do this. He said, as a matter of fact, here's what I want you to do. Go do what you said. You go and make that, make that bread for you and your son. But first, you make me a little piece of bread. And you bring it to me. Then go cook your bread. And then he, and then he, he explains something to her. He said, because... With God's command that you take care of me, he sent me to make sure you understood there was a promise attached to that command. And the promise is this. If you'll take care of me out of those limited resources you've got, God's going to take care of you out of his unlimited resources until the drought and the famine end and everything returns to normal. That's the promise. So she finds herself standing there with a big decision to make. Is she going to trust God and obey Him? 
or not? What did she do? Look at verse 15, 1 Kings chapter 17, and we'll find out what she did. Look at this. So she did. Oh, I love that. Did you see that? So she did. As Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour. What, 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 what? We're going too fast. Did you see that last phrase? There was always enough. Please don't miss that. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers. Just as the Lord had promised it, Elijah. She made a decision. Okay? I believe that promise. Because I believe that promise and I'm trusting in the one who made the promise. I'm going to go do what he told me to do. She went in. She started that fire. She made a little piece of bread. She brought it to Elijah. She goes back in and and she's got those two containers there. And I believe she noticed that... uh, You really couldn't notice that any of the flour and oil was gone. And maybe she didn't think much of it at first, but she she goes ahead and she takes the remainder and she makes a piece of bread for she and her son and they eat. And I believe she put the containers back in the pantry, closed the door, went on about her business. You know how we preachers are. We've got to eat every every couple hours anyway. I believe Elijah probably said a little later afternoon, you know, I don't know about the rest of y'all, but uh, I I could really, I'm kind of coming unfed here. I could really use something to eat. The widow goes back to the pantry, opens the door. There are those two jars. And they're at the exact same level they were before she cooked for Elijah, before she cooked for her son and herself. And when she saw that that oil was at the exact level where she started, I believe she said, wow. Wow. God said he would supernaturally provide for me if I provided for this man, and it's happening. The Bible said this went on for many days. Do you know how many days? I do. 1,095 days. For three years, she just kept pouring out the flour and the oil, making some bread. They all ate together. You know, she'd empty those jars, put them back in the pantry, go back later, and there they were at the same level. She would empty them. This went on at least twice a day for three years, which means that in response to her continued obedience, God wowed her at least 2,190 times before it was over with. Does that wow you? Man, that wows me. Now, there's got to be a lesson in this somewhere, and this is what I believe the lesson is. People who obey are wowed by God. There are times when a wow moment is set in motion because we talked to God. We prayed, God answered, and the result was a wow moment. However, there are other times when a wow moment is set in motion because God has spoken to us. And the story I've shared with you, I think, is a perfect example of this. God commanded the widow to provide Elijah with food and lodging. And along with the command, he included the promise of a wow moment. You provide for Elijah, I'll provide for you. Not naturally, but supernaturally. God promised to do something miraculous for her, and he did. When did he do it? God amazed her or wowed her after she obeyed him and not before. That's the way it works. People who obey are wowed by God. 
Now, that sounds simple enough, doesn't it? God leads. We obey. God wows us. But it's not always that easy, is it? There's almost always something standing in the way trying to keep us from being obedient to God. You ask Ronnie, like what? Sometimes it's fear. The woman in this story almost missed out on her wow moment because of fear. She was afraid to obey God. Afraid this is going to just screw up my life. I, I don't know. So she almost let her fear keep her from obeying God, which have kept her from being wowed by God almost 2,200 times. Fear almost caused her to miss out on a three-year period of her life that was marked by one wow moment after another. Think of all she would have missed out on and how differently her story and her son's story would have ended if she had not overcome her fear and obeyed God. Maybe the more accurate lesson in the story is this. People who obey in spite of fear are wowed by God. If you're new to Christianity, if you're just really, you're just really kind of starting this, I want to I tell you something. I'm going to give you a heads up. Most of the things that God would command that we do are frightening. I'll give you an example, and, and some of you probably have already experienced this. Have you ever been sitting with a friend that you suspected was, was not a Christian, and all of a sudden God began to lead you to bring it up and talk to them about Jesus and talk to them about salvation? And, oh, you knew what he was saying. You knew what he wanted. What did you feel? You probably felt fear. Fear of what? Fear of messing it up. Fear of saying the wrong things. Fear of offending them. Fear of, of alienating them. It may have happened if God's ever led you, and I'm, I'm going to assume that he has, to give money or to invest money in his work. If he's ever put it on your heart to give, you probably felt some degree of fear. God, if I turn loose of this, if I just let this go... You know, this is just going to mess things up or make things more difficult for me and mine. When we feel fear rising up in us, what do we normally do? We refuse to obey because we're afraid. And for that reason, many of us are probably missing out on a lot of wow moments. To recover the wow factor, we're going to have to obey God. And to obey God, we've got to overcome fear. Now, what does it take to overcome fear? Very simply put, it takes faith. To overcome fear, you've got to trust God. We have to have enough faith that it suppresses the fear. How do you get that kind of faith? Now, listen carefully to me. Listen. listen I want you to listen to me. I'm, I'm wrapping this baby up, okay? I'm landing this plane. How do you get that kind of faith? Use the faith you've got. And you will always have the faith you need. Use the faith you've got and you'll always have the faith you need. I think Elijah's a great example of this. Elijah wasn't afraid at all. 
to entrust his well-being to a widow who had absolutely zero resources to take care of him. He wasn't intimidated by that. Why not? He had the faith he needed. Where did he get that at? Well, he just used the faith he had to walk safely for 90 miles through enemy territory. Where did he get that faith? Well, he just used the faith that he had to spend six months in the desert being fed by birds. Where did he get that faith at? Well, he went and he rebuked a murderous king. Elijah just kept using the faith he had. And as a result, he always had the faith that he needed to take the next step. It takes faith to overcome fear and to have the faith you need. You've got to use the faith you have. This story I've told you this morning is one of my all-time favorite stories. Can I, I want to tell you a second story, and this may be my second favorite story. And many of you who have been here for a while, you've heard this story, but it bears repeating it. I'm going to share it again. In the spring of 1997, God confirmed to me that he wanted me to resign the church that I'd been serving for about a decade. It didn't really catch me off guard. It's something that my wife and I have been praying about. He just confirmed it. That's what I want you to do. I want you to resign the church. I consented. You're the boss. That's what I'll do. I'll resign it. But I had a question. Where where am I going next? What am I going to do next? I mean, God, I'm assuming if you're calling me from something, you're calling me to something, so what are you calling me to? And this, he answered me very clear, and this is what he said. That's irrelevant. It's just irrelevant. I've given you a step to take, and you need to focus completely on taking that step, resign that church. I said, okay. I go home, I sit laying down, I tell her, okay, God has confirmed that I'm to resign. Didn't surprise her, and... She said, where are we going? I said, I don't know. He, God just told me to focus on this, just take this step, and let's see what happens. We were in the process of buying a home in Wahala. We'd already given the, uh, the bank $1,000 earnest money. We had our closing date set. And Lynn asked me, okay, what are we going to do about the house? And this great man of faith sitting there said, I guess we're going to lose $1,000 because I'm not about to go over there and commit to paying for a house when I know that I'm going to be without a job and without an income. When my wife broke down in tears and left the room, boy, that made me feel like a million dollars. I'm just sitting there numb. Three or four minutes she walks in, eyes swollen, red. She said, where are we going to live? Because we were living in a church-furnished home and I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack, but I had it figured out. If I didn't work for them, they probably weren't going to let us live there. <laughs> she said, where, where are we going to live? I don't know. She said, I think God just spoke to me. I think he told me we've got to live somewhere. I think he said, buy the house, and month by month, I'll make sure you got the money to make the mortgage payment. I'm telling you, she was speaking, there was this deep sense of peace came all over me. And I knew this. I knew God had spoken to my wife, and I knew that he was speaking to me through her. I said, good deal. We'll do it. I had two leadership groups in the church that I served. So on Sunday night, May the 11th, I sat one down. I said, I'm going to resign on May the 25th. And I picked that date because we were closing on the house on the 22nd. And I knew that Lynn and I were good with going on faith. I didn't think Oconee Federal Savings and Loan was going to dig it. I have no job. I don't make anything, but I want this house. I didn't think they were going to go by faith, so I wasn't trying to deceive them. 
I don't think. Uh, So the leadership group said, where are you going? What are you going to do next? I don't know. Monday night, May the 12th, I met with the second group, and I said, guys, I'm going to be resigning on May the 25th. I'll work a 30-day notice if that's what you want. And, uh, but this is, this is God has told me i got to do this. They said, where are you going? What are you going to do next? I said, I don't know. So I got home. Lena and the kids went to bed, and I did what I did a lot back in those days. I, I sat up and just stared at the walls. So I got my Bible out, and I opened it up, and you are not going to believe this. This is the story I read. I started reading this story, the one I just shared with you. As I'm reading the story, I thought about how that God provided for Elijah, and he had used these ravens, used these birds. And I'm not, referring, I'm not saying the members of the other church were ravens. Please, don't misunderstand me. But I thought, you know, God, you, you provided for him, but you channeled your provision through these ravens, and then one day that ended, and then you sent him to Zarephath, and you channeled your provision through a widow. And in my prayer, this is what I asked God. This is exactly what I asked it. I said, who's our widow? Where's the provision coming from next? He answered me as vividly as any word I've ever heard from him. And he said, it might be a golden corner. Our church had sponsored the beginning of Golden Corner Church. And I'd preached at Golden Corner several times. I was good friends with Mark Bagwell and... And uh, we, in the course of our conversation, he had shared with me that more month to month, we're just not taking in enough to cover our expenses. And so, when you know, God says it might be going to corner. I, I'm going to be frank with you. I'll tell you what I did. I laughed out loud. Listen, I laughed so loudly, I was afraid I woke Lynn and the kids up. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> then I said out loud, God, that'd be just like you. They no more have the resources to provide for me and my wife than the widow had resources to provide for Elijah. And as I sat there, I, I continued to think. I continued to pray. I said, God, if I went to Golden Corner, they got a senior pastor. They don't need a senior pastor. Why would they need me? And I, I, just, I t- tore out a piece of paper and I started scribbling down a, a, a job description. I even gave it a title, teaching pastor. And I got out our budget and I looked and I said, man, if we took this thing down to the bare bones, what would we have to live on? I wrote a figure down and sometime in the wee hours of the morning, I fell asleep on the couch. And uh, I woke up when Lynn turned on the lights and I said, I've got to talk to you about something. I ran it all by her. I said, what do you think? She said, man, I, I think that'd just be great. Now, Mark and I had already scheduled a luncheon at least two weeks before this date. And I said, well, I'm meeting old Bagwell at lunch, and I'm going to run all this by him. And so, you know, that, after that, you know, that day I start out to Wahala, and God spoke to me again and said, no, you're not. Because if, if it's me, I'm big enough to tell him. I said, okay. So Mark and I meet for lunch. Have you ever had lunch with Mark Bagwell? Mark never stops talking. I mean, you can finish your lunch, you can paint, you know, the house, you can do it. He's still sitting there talking. This day, it was the exact opposite. I was talking 90 miles an hour. And Mark's sitting there, you ever notice, he gets fidgety, he's, he's moving all over. And finally, Mark said, uh, can we pray? I said, yeah. He said, i got to ask you something. I said, all right. We prayed. 
I looked up Mark and said, can I hire you? I swear to God this happened. Can I hire you? I didn't let on. Now my heart was, I didn't let on. I was like, what would you like for me to do, Pastor Mark? (laughs) He pulled out a subway napkin and a pen. And he wrote out the same job description. I had my paper in the truck. He wrote out the same job description. He said, ain't no way I could pay what the other church has been paying you, but if I could do this, and wrote that figure on the napkin, and it was a figure that I had written. He said, well, Mark, I got a question for you. How would you pay me? He said, you know we're not making ends meet right now, but there's this lady at our church that sold a piece of land. She gave us $4,000, and we set it over in a separate account. He said, I'm gonna, I'll start paying you out of the 4000 but let's see what happens. You know what Mark Bagel said to me? I got a little flower. I got a little oil. Let's start there. Let's see what God does with it. I go back and I tell Lynn, Mark comes back and he tells the church, didn't he, Tom? We both found ourselves in a situation where God was asking us to do something that was frightening. He was asking me and Lynn to entrust ourselves and our family to the care of a church that didn't have means to provide for us. And he was asking Golden Corner Church to take on the responsibilities of providing for a pastor and his family when they knew they didn't have the means to do that. We're both facing a situation where we got a decision to make. Do we act on our fears and back away from this? Or do we trust God and do this? We decided that we were going to obey God. Now, this July, that'll be 19 years ago. 19 years. Now, why are you telling us this, Tyrone? I'll tell you why. Because to date, together, we have experienced 223 wow moments. I'm paid by the month, which means. That the powers that be at Golden Corner Church for 223 months have gone to the pantry to see if they had the resources to pay me. It's always been there. The $4,000, the little flour and oil never was used up. And for 200, 200, hey, listen, you can say wow if you want to. There you go. For 223 consecutive months, Lynn and I have gone to our little pantry and opened door to see if the resources were there for us to pay our mortgage. And 223 times the resources have been there and we have said, wow. Don't let fear keep you from obeying God. Don't let fear keep you from the wow moments. I'm speaking to somebody here and God has been telling you for quite some time to do something. And as of yet, you haven't done it. And you feel like you've got this great excuse. 
And you've been telling God, I can't. I can't. I can't. You know where that's coming from? It's coming from fear. The truth is, you won't. You won't because you're afraid. And that fear is never going anywhere until you make a decision that the God who is commanding you to do this is a trustworthy God. I'm encouraging you to use the fear, the faith that you've got. And take this step, whatever this step is, trust God and obey Him because people who obey in spite of fear are wowed by God. Let's pray together. This is your time just for you and God. Your time. As you're sitting there in these quiet moments, the first thing I want you to do is, is, is whisper some prayers to God. I'm talking to some people. And there have been some things God's asked you to do, and they've scared you to death, but you did them anyway, and God has wowed you over and over and over again. Don't you think it would be appropriate right now for you to tell him thanks? Just tell him thanks. Thank you, God. Now there's that issue, that thing he's been telling you to do. you call that to mind in your prayer I want you to say one thing to God yes yes God I'm trusting you on this and I'm making a commitment to you right now just thank him for being available to you today listening to you amen thank you thank you so much for your patience I knew I'd go long today thank you now let's leave and let's obey